Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates again to curb inflation. It's the smallest hike since March. And along with the rate hike today, Fed Chair Jerome Powell maintains a tough tone in his speech. But how are the markets interpreting it? We talked to an analyst. More than 1,000 people have pleaded guilty or been convicted of COVID relief fraud. Lawmakers trying to find out where billions of taxpayer dollars went and what could have been done to avoid this. Farmers visit Capitol Hill to warn about a potential corn catastrophe. Many could go out of business if Mexico bans all genetically modified corn imports from America. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. The Federal Reserve announced a quarter-point interest rate hike earlier today. The Fed is slowing pace of its increases, and this is a clear sign that the central bank is seeing progress in its fight. Fed officials acknowledge that, quote, inflation has eased somewhat, though the central bank is not declaring victory just yet. The inflation data received over the past three months show a welcome reduction in the monthly pace of increases. And while recent developments are encouraging, we will need substantially more evidence to be confident that inflation is on a sustained downward path. In his post-meeting press conference, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the job is not fully done and that the committee anticipates ongoing increases. Again, Powell reiterated the Fed's commitment to returning inflation to 2%. He says the committee wants to maximize employment while doing this. But when asked by a reporter where he sees unemployment rate going, Powell did not answer directly. Now joining me to talk about the Fed's rate hike today is Joseph Trevisani, senior economist at FX Street. So the Fed raising rates today by 25 basis points, what we expected. Yes. What, do you, what do you think about the language used here? Well, the language in both the statement and uh, Mr. Powell's press conference has not convinced the markets that their view that the Fed is very close to the end of its rate hikes is inaccurate. After Mr. About halfway through Mr. Powell's press conference, Treasury rates were down considerably. The 10-year was down about 10 points, a little bit more, from where it was when he started, and the two-year was down a similar amount. In addition, equities also recovered almost all of their losses. The Dow had been down about 300-plus points before, and it recovered to flat. So. Mr. Powell said several times the job is not done. It's premature to think that it is. Nonetheless, markets are not convinced. They think the Fed is about finished. So what's your position on what actually went into this decision of 25 basis points? Well, the Fed is, I mean, they did four, in, four rate increases of 75 basis points each, which is unheard of. It has happened before, but it hasn't happened in many, many years, in, in really since Paul Volcker. So when they start changing that prescription, when they drop the next rate increase to half and then to a quarter, that is really what matters. That is really what is giving the markets their cues. So you say that what matters most is really the the action of 25 basis points. Yes. So is there a disconnect between what Powell is saying and what markets believe? I don't think there's a disconnect um, because what Mr. Powell, I think, is trying to do 
which is what the Fed always does, is to present and prevent any kind of rush, any kind of precipitous move based on a pending, or at least what the market thinks is a pending change in policy. So I don't think there's really a disconnect. The Fed has done this kind of rhetorical operation many, many times, but the markets, again, tend to pay attention to facts rather than rhetoric when they think the facts and the rhetoric don't entirely jibe. So then we're talking about rhetoric. Let me ask you, when Powell said more work is needed and maintaining a restrictive stance for some time, how do you interpret that? Well, you can interpret that in a number of different ways. More work is needed. Does that mean we're going to get another series of four or five 75-point rate increases? No, I don't think so. When he says more work is needed, you can think of that as a different way, that what's needed is there is more time needed for the rate increases that we've seen so far to have an effect, to have a cumulative effect on the market. That, I think, is how the markets are interpreting it. And what do you think how Powell is looking at, you know, there are signs of consumer demand weakening. What do you think Powell thinks of that? Absolutely. As we all know, we all heard many, many times, the U.S. economy is, you know, 70 percent fueled by, consum by consumption, by consumer spending. And we've had two um, negative months in retail sales. Before that, we had a flat month. If the consumer starts to pull back and this continues, that is the quickest road, the quickest path for the American economy to a recession. And at the same time, it doesn't help, right, when the consumer inflation expectations are on the rise. That's correct. Consumers will relate to what they're seeing in the markets, what they're paying. And although overall inflation has come off, the things, some of the things at least, that consumers have to deal with every day, primarily food, which has more emotional impact than most other increases, still are quite high. So consumers are expecting more inflation, even if it's actually waning, although it's not waning in food. And the Fed can see this as well. So all of these factors, I think, are one of the reasons the Fed is going to keep their rhetorical guns trained on inflation, even as their rate increases are diminishing and tailing off. Mm, fascinating. Uh, maybe just one last thing. How many more rate hikes uh, do you expect? I think we'll have one or two more rate hikes, and that's it, of 25% each, and that's it. I don't think the Fed will continue at all past the mid-year. The other reason is, in June, we will start looking towards 2024, and as we all know, 2024 is a presidential election year. I don't think the Fed wants to get involved with potentially being blamed for creating a recession heading into 2024. Mm, I see. All right, Joseph Trevisani, FX Street, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good day. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq closed sharply higher today after the first Fed date this year. Major indexes had lost ground immediately after the Fed rate hike, but gained back ground after Chair Powell started speaking to reporters, where he said he could acknowledge for the first time that disinflation had started to happen. The Dow added 7 points, S&P gained 43 points, or 1 percent. The Nasdaq rose 232 points, or 2 percent. More than 1,000 people have pleaded guilty or been convicted on federal charges of defrauding various COVID relief programs. This is according to a congressional hearing focused on COVID relief fraud today. Here's Republican Congressman James Comer talking about the scale of the fraud. He is the chairman of House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. We've seen reports that between 76 to more than $100 billion in Paycheck Protection Program and Economic Injury and Disaster Loan Programs were lost to improper payments. 
We've seen reports that $266 billion in improper payments were made by Medicaid during the pandemic. We owe it to the American people to get to the bottom of the greatest theft of American taxpayer dollars in history. We must identify where this money went, how much ended up in the hands of fraudsters or ineligible participants, and what should be done to ensure that it never happens again. Congress approved about $4.6 trillion in spending from six virus relief laws beginning in March 2020. That was when Trump was in the White House. One of the biggest factors in the COVID fraud that occurred was the need to get dollars out to people and businesses as quickly as possible. It was Congress which acted responsibly and swiftly and in bipartisan fashion to create and supercharge programs that saved countless businesses and families from bankruptcy and ruin. As a result of our actions, the COVID-19 economic recession was the shortest on record. The programs were by no means perfect. But the chair of a government pandemic watchdog says there were small steps that agencies should have taken like checking names against the Treasury's so-called do-not-pay list. It includes names of people who owe taxes, people maybe owe child support, etc. How many people do we know received money from the federal government that were on the do-not-pay list? Um, I don't know across all programs. Um, What I do know is from the SBA's PPP program because... um, almost $400 billion went out in two weeks in that program. Of that amount, 57,000, 3.6 billion shouldn't have gone out right away. Not saying every one of those would have been denied, but at a minimum there should have been secondary screening. The head of the Government Accountability Office says it'll be some time before the full extent of fraud is known. The Inspector General for the Small Business Administration has more than 500 ongoing investigations, while the Labor Department's internal watchdog continues to open at least 100 unemployment insurance fraud investigations each week. All Republican senators plus Democrat Joe Manchin have come together in an attempt to thwart the Biden administration's new environmental, social and governance rule. They say it politicizes the retirement savings of 152 million Americans and have introduced legislation against it. Here's NTD's Daniel Monahan. The Department of Labor introduced the rule in November. It enables retirement plan managers to include environmental and social issues in investment decisions. Senator Mike Braun is leading the bipartisan disapproval resolution. He told Fox News, quote, President Biden is jeopardizing retirement savings for millions of Americans for a political agenda. Braun adds that Americans' 401ks have already taken a big hit due to market downturns and record high inflation. Meanwhile, Representative Andy Barr will introduce a companion bill in the House. Here's Barr on Fox News. And whenever these uh, retirement plans, whether they're in the public sector or the private sector, invest based on these environmental, social, and governance metrics, uh, they are subordinating financial performance to politics. On CNBC, Tom Cotton criticized the ESG movement and its leading companies like BlackRock. What Larry Fink and BlackRock have done, in part uh, through collusion with this climate action partnership, is essentially create a climate cartel. The Arkansas senator questions the company's motives and direction. They are trying to suppress investment in the fossil fuel industry in America. While West Virginia State Treasurer Riley Moore says the ESG movement has played a big part in driving inflation in the economy. 
These folks, BlackRock certainly being the leader, has created artificial scarcity in the marketplace, which has driven up, obviously, energy costs. Labor Department official Lisa Gomez says including the economic effects of climate change when making investment choices is common sense. Last week, a group of 25 states launched a federal lawsuit against the Biden administration over the rule. The Congressional Review Act says joint resolutions of disapproval cannot be prevented from consideration on the floor. The resolution needs only a simple majority vote threshold to pass. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Intel said Tuesday that it made broad pay cuts to employees and an executive. This comes a week after the company reported a lower-than-expected sales forecast. Pay cuts will range from 5% for mid-level employees to 25% for Chief Executive Pat Gelsinger. Intel said last week that its profit margins were plunging as the PC market cools. Gelsinger said that Intel has also lost market share to rivals like AMD. Last week, the company predicted a surprise loss for the first quarter. Its revenue forecast was $3 billion below estimates. Intel saw about $8 billion wiped off its market value last Friday. PayPal is joining other tech industry leaders in announcing layoffs. The digital payments company says it plans to cut staff by about 7%. That amounts to about 2,000 employees losing their jobs. On Wall Street, PayPal shares are down more than 50% over the past year. PayPal CEO Dan Schulman says the company must continue changing to keep up with competition and a changing world. A federal judge has tightened bail conditions for FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, who's facing eight criminal counts of fraud and conspiracy. Judge Lewis Kaplan has forbidden Bankman Freed from contacting any current or former employees without attorneys present. He placed the restriction after learning Bankman Freed sent a text message to the former general counsel for his company. In that message, Bankman Freed attempted to reconnect with the person whom the court identified as Witness One. Bankman Freed's legal team described the message as benign in nature, but the judge disagreed saying it appears Bankman-Fried wanted to corroborate versions of events with Witness 1. Prosecutors say they could call Witness 1 to testify. A medical watchdog group in the UK says Pfizer's CEO made misleading statements about vaccinating children. Pfizer responded saying the company is committed to integrity. Entities Colin Fredrickson has the story. A case report published by a U.K. pharmaceutical watchdog on Friday says that Pfizer CEO Albert Borla made misleading statements. The statements in question were about giving COVID-19 vaccines to young children. During an interview with the BBC published in December of 2021, Borla was asked whether it was a good idea to vaccinate European kids aged 5 to 11 against COVID-19. At the time the interview was published, Pfizer COVID vaccines for kids that age had already been approved by the FDA in the U.S. However, the U.K. regulatory body at that time hadn't approved them yet. In the interview, Borla acknowledged that it was up to the U.K. authorities to decide whether or not to approve the vaccines. But he said, there is no doubt in my mind about the benefits completely are in favor of doing it. Following complaints from a children's welfare campaign group, medical watchdog group PMCPA ruled that Borla's statements breached a number of codes of practice. The ruling found that the statement might convey to members of the public that there was no need to be concerned about potential side effects, which was not so, and that Pfizer's CEO did not encourage the rational use of a medicine. In November 2022, The Telegraph obtained the unpublished ruling. 
At that time, a spokesperson for Pfizer told the journal that the company was committed to the highest levels of integrity in any interaction with the public and added, We are pleased the UK's PMCPA appeal board found Pfizer to have maintained high standards and upheld confidence in our industry. PMCPA codebreakers are charged for administrative cost. The self-regulatory body does not have the power to impose fines or other legal sanctions. Now turning to our special report today to look at how a proposed trade curb could impact American farmers. Mexico is planning an import ban on genetically modified corn, also known as GMO corn. This ban could devastate farmers all across the country. Many could go out of business. If Mexico imposes its ban, all of America would take a financial hit. Corn is America's single largest agricultural export. And Mexico is our biggest buyer with $10.6 billion worth purchased last year. This will be a tremendous amount of revenue lost. American corn farmers were in Washington on Tuesday encouraging Congress to fight Mexico's corn policies. We spoke to one of the farmers who went to Washington, Tom Haig, the president of the National Corn Growers Association. Well, 90% of the corn that we grow in the United States right now is GMO. So that would be, you know, the vast majority of us that that grow that corn. So uh, it would affect us, all of us, tremendously. Many farmers say they would go out of business if the ban took effect. Many have never grown non-GMO corn, also known as conventional corn. Actually, it would be a huge investment to switch. We can use less tillage practices across the ground to plant their corn. If we were to go back to the old-style GMO, we would have more trips across the field. We would be using more chemicals, more insecticides to take care of the pests that uh, that would harm our corn that, that we don't have to worry about when we use GMO corn. And it would also be very difficult for farmers to grow both GMO corn and non-GMO corn at the same time. We spoke to corn farmer Wesley Pandy, who owns around 4,000 acres of land. It's about the size of an airport. He grows GMO corn on over 30% of that land. Pandy says growing both at the same time is difficult because of cross-pollination. If you have GMO corn over here and it's on 150 acres on this side of the road, and you have non-GMO on the other side of the road, or your neighbor has a GMO corn on that side of the road, you get an east wind and you get his pollen from his GMO corn on your non-GMO corn, or you get a west wind and you get your GMO corn on your non-GMO corn. It really has to be grown uh, about a mile from all other, uh, you know, non-GMO corn has to be grown. Pandy says it's much more beneficial for farmers to plant GMO corn because there's less cost and less work. The genetically modified seeds themselves are more expensive, but the corn is stronger. It is actually cheaper in the long run because you're not using insecticides. Uh, You're able to use certain types of herbicides. Your technology fee is really minimal compared to if you had to go and buy a conventional style uh, recovery herbicide uh, because they're very expensive. So is GMO corn completely safe? There are some scientific studies that suggest they may not be perfectly safe, 
For example, French researchers claimed that rats who ate Monsanto's GMO corn suffered health problems. But Dan Blaustein Rato, the director of food and agriculture at the Breakthrough Institute, says most, most scientists generally believe it is safe. About 90 percent, if not more, scientists believe that they are safe and major scientific associations and institutions around the world have released statements um, based on extensive studies finding that they are safe. The National Academy of Science in the U.S., the World Health Organization, um, as well as other scientific authorities around the world. But despite this, we have to add that it's not possible to fully prove any food is safe. We can only say that no dangers have currently been found. And going into break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, lawmakers proposing more protections for airline passengers just a month after thousands of flights were canceled over the holidays. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT, has released a software tool to, to identify text generated by artificial intelligence. ChatGPT is a free program that generates text in response to a prompt. It can write articles, essays, jokes, even poetry. The program has gained popularity with millions of users since its November debut. But it's also raised concerns about copyright and plagiarism. The company's AI classifier tool aims to distinguish AI-written text from human-created content. The tool is meant to address issues like automated misinformation campaigns and academic dishonesty. Some of the largest school districts in the U.S. have banned the AI chatbot due to concerns over cheating and plagiarism. Others have created third-party detection tools to help educators detect AI-generated text. Two senators are pushing to protect airline passengers after the travel meltdown over the holidays. Democrats Richard Blumenthal and Ed Markey are reintroducing two bills. They aim to crack down on airline fees and speed up passenger refunds. Here's Senator Markey yesterday. It's past time they prioritize passengers over profit. With the Airline Passenger Bill of Rights and the Fair Fees Act, Congress has an opportunity to do just that, to end the airline's exploitation of passengers and return decency, respect, and fairness to the friendly skies. Under the measures, if an airline oversold a flight, they would have to pay passengers who were denied boarding at at least around $1,300. Consumers would also have new rights to sue airlines for unfair practices. And they would get refunds for flights arriving more than an hour late. A group representing major airlines said its members already follow and often exceed DOT regulations. It argues the proposals will decrease competition and lead to an increase in airfare. Another Democrat senator plans to hold a hearing on the travel meltdown in the coming weeks. It's only February, but Frontier has announced a deal for anyone getting a jump on making their summer travel plans. The low-cost air carrier is launching an all-you-can-fly summer pass. It's going to cost $399 and includes nearly unlimited flights between May and September. 
Frontier says each flight will cost pass holders just one cent, plus taxes, fees, and any charges for seats or checked baggage. The airline currently has more than 100 destinations and plans to add new non-stop service between multiple cities and Puerto Rico this summer. And that's all from the NTD business team and myself, Don Mai. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching and we'll see you tomorrow.